3: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about horrifying healings and abominable admissions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Charles David Taylor and Sean Robitill, our voice talents Jesse Cornett, Justine Anastasia, Eric Peabody, and Melissa Axelberth. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds. And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Charles David Taylor and performed by Jesse Cornett and Justine Anastasia. In it, we will meet Don and Marjorie, a couple who are on a road trip following Don's demanding schedule to visit nine Western National Parks in 14 days. After discovering a teddy bear in their hotel room, Marjorie begins carrying it with her everywhere and treating it like a child. On their last stop, Don has a bad day and is pushed too far. In a sudden fit of rage, he tosses the bear into a gorge and Marjorie goes to pieces. She seems to recover on the long trip home, but goes over the edge when they discover what is waiting for them in their bedroom. Without further ado, I present to you,
2: Baby Bear. Baby Bear by Charles David Taylor Narrated by Jesse Cornett
1: Turn the car around.
2: Don had just settled into his relaxed, long-drive posture. Huh?
1: Just turn around.
2: Marjorie's tone was urgent.
1: We need to go back to the motel. Why?
2: It's miles to the next exit.
1: Sorry, I left my makeup kit in the bathroom.
2: She was embarrassed.
1: We need to get there before the cleaning crew picks it up.
2: He groaned. (sighs) Can't you just buy more?
1: Have you priced cosmetics lately? It's a couple of hundred bucks at least, not to mention the fancy case your mother gave me for my birthday.
2: They were back at the motel. In 20 minutes, Don stayed in the car, listening to the radio, while Marjorie finagled a key from the disgruntled desk attendant. She raced down the hall and breathed a sigh of relief when she saw the unmade bed, the untouched room, She retrieved her case from the bathroom and glanced around to make sure they hadn't left anything else. That's when she saw the bear. A teddy bear, perched regally on a pillow, leaned nonchalantly against the bed's fake headboard. How could it have gotten there? Someone must have come in and left it. The cleaning crew? But the room hadn't been touched. She picked it up and looked into its happy face. It seemed oddly familiar, comforting. She couldn't resist hugging the little thing. It felt so good that for a moment, she forgot Don was waiting in the car. She couldn't just leave it. She took the bear with her as she walked back to the front desk, intending to leave it at reception. Nobody was there. She banged on the bell, but no one appeared. On impulse, she dropped the key next to the computer and walked out the door with the bear. What's that? Asked Don. He started the car and pulled out of the parking lot.
1: My makeup case and a teddy bear.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Where'd you get him?
1: Why him? She looks quite feminine to me.
2: She held the bear next to her face and kissed it. Well, excuse me. Where'd you get her? He glanced over and shook his head as his wife gave the bear an extravagant hug.
1: Found her in the room waiting for me, and I couldn't just leave her there.
2: Oh, no, of course not, he said sarcastically. But right now, some little girl is crying her eyes out. Mother's probably on the cleaning crew.
1: Don't be mean. The room hadn't been touched.
2: So the bear walked in on her own. He glanced at his wife doubtfully.
1: Whatever. She's mine now, and we'll give her a good home.
2: What do you mean, we? This is on you.
1: Look at it this way. I rescued her. She's underage, and they were probably forcing her to clean toilets.
2: And Marjorie was off on one of her flights.
1: I think we've stumbled onto a child slavery ring. The local law is on our tail now. Wants to nab us for child abduction and crossing state lines. Have you heard of the Mann Act? We're partners in a federal crime, Don. So romantic. Like Bonnie and Clyde.
2: Jeez. You and your imagination. (laughs) Anyway it's not a child both their grins faded they were silent for many miles they stopped for lunch at a mcdonald's and marjorie brought the bear inside don shook his head marjorie i've always said you're not afraid of what people think but sometimes
1: it gets hot in the car we can't leave her in there
2: A couple hundred bucks worth of makeup is melting, but this teddy bear
1: won't survive? Men don't understand.
2: How right you are. (sighs) They sat in a booth and ate their Big Macs and fries. The bear sat next to Marjorie in the booth. At least she didn't put it in a high chair, he thought, or try to feed it. As though reading his mind, she held a fry up to its mouth. She turned to Don's open-mouthed stare and laughed uproariously.
1: You should see your face.
2: She roared. Don shook his head. Marjorie, darling, you worry me sometimes. She was still laughing as they walked back to the car. It was blazing hot inside the car, and they opened all the doors while Don ran the air conditioner at max. He studied the map on his phone, checked his trip notes, and calculated how far it was to the first national park. In their little family, Don was the plotting planner, the get it done engineer. He'd been working on the itinerary for a month, obviously plotting out their route, researching the highlights of each park, the distance between them, and the best places to stay. No detail was too small. They each had their own way of dealing with the loss. And this was his. Now he could check off the first leg of the trip, the two day drive from Fort Worth, and start working through the major milestones on his list. Over the next two weeks, they would visit nine national parks Bryce Canyon, Great Basin, Arches, Zion, Mesa Verde, Rocky Mountain, Canyonlands. Capitol Reef and great sand dunes. It was a daunting schedule, but Don was confident they could do it. When he looked up, he noticed Marjorie doing something in the back seat. He turned to see her pulling the seatbelt around the bear. There's probably a Walmart down the road. Why don't we stop and buy a car seat? Maybe a sippy cup? She laughed.
1: Don't be silly. I don't want her rolling around, maybe falling on the floor.
2: She snapped the buckle into place and slammed the door shut.
1: Doesn't she look cute?
2: Don glanced back at the bear, who stared at him with its fixed grin. Oh yeah, real cute. (sighs) Marjorie climbed in the front seat, smiling.
1: Come on, lighten up. It's just for fun.
2: He sighed and started the car. As he pulled onto the highway, he could feel the bear's eyes on the back of his head. So, uh, what should we call him? Her? She reminded him.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that.
2: They began running through possibilities. It was the kind of game people play on long car trips, and Marjorie's free-ranging mind was good at it. When Don tried to change the subject... their destination or to point out the foothills just appearing in the distance, Marjorie would respond half-heartedly, then suddenly interject a new name.
1: How about Beauregard? Beauregard Bear,
2: she said brightly. You mean the Confederate General? (laughs) Jeff Sessions' middle name? (laughs) No way! Don decided to humor her. He countered with, you like Beastie Bear? Like my favorite band? Back when? <laughs> mm,
1: I'd rather call her the Beartles. Or the Bear 52s. John Bear Jovi? Kurt Colbert.
2: And on it went. They crept slowly up the mountain, ascending through a series of winding switchbacks. The view was spectacular. Marjorie took the bear from the back seat and held it up to the window. The bear's expression did not change, and she sighed. Don kept his eyes on the road. Marjorie took out her hairbrush and began combing the bear's fur.
1: She likes this. It was getting messed up with all the handling.
2: She examined the bottom of its foot.
1: Oh my God.
2: Don glanced over, what? She had her hand on her chest, staring with surprise at the bottom of the bear's foot.
1: That mark, see it?
2: He glanced over quickly, but saw only a smear. I can't look now, I'm trying to stay on the damned road. He swerved sharply around another switchback.
1: What is it? There's a mark on its foot. My old bear, the one I had as a kid, she had the same mark.
2: And what's it say, made in China? Like everything else we own?
1: (laughs) No. It's with a pen. I marked my bear that same way, with my initials, and it kind of got smeared after a while. Just like this one.
2: So what's it say?
1: Hard to tell.
2: She held the foot in the sun and squinted.
1: Now you'll know I'm crazy, and I think it's MJ. My initials.
2: Don's stomach nodded up, then relaxed... She had to be joking. Momentarily distracted, he drifted across the center line. A pickup appeared around the next switchback going downhill too fast. The driver blared his horn and gestured as Don swerved back into his lane. Shit, he swore under his breath. When he turned to Marjorie, she was holding her hands over the bear's ears.
1: Don't curse in front of her,
2: she said oblivious to the near miss. Fucking Christ, he said. I'm really getting tired of this, Marjorie. She looked hurt and turned toward the window. They were silent for the next hour. She kept the bear in her lap, but held it up to the window from time to time and whispered into its ear.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
2: Don lay on one bed at the hotel that night, studying the maps and brochures he'd scattered about, while Marjorie lay on the other bed. She was holding the bear in one arm, phone in the other, scrolling through texts and emails
1: mother wants me to call her
2: she sighed
1: i guess i'd better it could take a while you know mom
2: she said putting the phone to her ear don tried to tune out the conversation but his ears perked up when marjorie mentioned the bear
1: oh guess what i found the most darling little teddy bear somebody must have left it in the motel where we stayed two nights ago he's been riding along with us and don and i have been showing him the sights
2: Don gritted his teeth. That would be you, not me, he thought.
1: And the funniest thing is, you know how I made a mark on the foot of my bear? Well, I found that same mark on this bear. It's smeared, but it looks just like what I wrote. You know, my initials.
2: As Marjorie listened, Don forced his attention back to the brochure on Bryce Canyon, the next day's destination. His concentration was interrupted by Marjorie's change in tone.
1: No, 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 that's wrong. Of course I did. How could you forget?
2: Another long pause. Then her voice rose in volume.
1: Mother, don't be ridiculous. I did have a bear. That's why this is so weird. Is something going on with your memory? I...
2: He glanced over and saw his wife's wrinkled brow.
1: I'm not insulting you. I...
2: She was shaking her head, and he thought her lip was trembling.
1: I know. Kids remember things differently. But I had that bear for years until Dad...
2: Minutes later, she hung up with a chilly... Goodbye, Mother. Marjorie sat and stared at the blank TV screen while she stroked the bear with her right hand. What was that all about? he asked. Nothing. She said, come on. You never talk to your mother that way
1: what did she say
2: marjorie wouldn't look at him she said marjorie paused to catch her breath
1: she said i never had a bear my father refused to let me have one and he said it created dependency like sucking your thumb
2: oh wow don shook his head that sounds like the general all right the old guy was a bit rigid wasn't he don thought the word rigid was charitable. When he and Marjorie went on dates, Don would have to meet beforehand with her father and described his exact plans for the evening. Fortunately, Don's careful planning and earnest manner met with the general's grudging approval. Nevertheless, Don always left their house bathed in sweat. One night, the very night he'd planned to propose The old man had a massive coronary and died.
1: Mother's wrong. I did have a bear, and it looked just like ours.
2: You were a kid, and she was an adult. How could she forget that? Uh, Maybe you just imagined it. She shook her head, but her normally serene face had a troubled expression. She grabbed the remote and turned on the TV, then wrapped both arms around the bear and hugged it tightly. She soon fell asleep, and they spoke no more that night. Over the next two weeks, they kept to the schedule and rolled through all nine national parks, Don's bucket list, work plan in project management terms, was to visit all 62 national parks. They had honeymooned at Yosemite and visited the big ones in subsequent years, including Yellowstone and Grand Canyon. They were set to start on the lesser-known parks when the baby came, temporarily shelving plans. Afterward, Don revived the plan as a means of escape, This trip to the western parks, all relatively close together, would knock off nine more, as he put it. On the 14th day, even Don had to admit to scenic exhaustion. Marjorie, disciplined from youth by her father not to object, had endured the marathon stoically. She never complained about stopping for the next spectacular rock pillar, bottomless chasm, or mountain view, But Don began to feel guilty about putting his wife through his relentless itinerary. They had learned to cut each other considerable slack after the loss, and he in turn held his tongue as she brushed the bear's fur, chatted with it, and held it up to the window for each new sight. Nevertheless, as the trip wore on, his patience grew thin, they never settled on a name. She simply called it Bear. The last part was great sand dunes, encompassing 30 square miles and described in the brochure as a sandbox of epic proportions. For sure, it was spectacular and amazing, but as they pulled out of the parking lot, Don felt jaded. He regretted they would end the tour on that weak note. As they began the two-hour drive to Taos, he made a reluctant admission. Nine parks. Fourteen days. Thank God we'll never have to do that again. <laughs> they both laughed, breaking the chill.
1: Ah, oh, Donnie, you loved it. For about eight days, anyway.
2: <laughs> uh, I'd say Ten. Okay. Oh nine The last four have been a slog. I love the park. So I hate it when they began to look the same The same visitor center same exhibits same magnificent scenery
1: (laughs) Well, bear loved it. She never got tired
2: mentioning the bear chilled the conversation Over the next few days His feelings had alternated between concern and annoyance. Sure, kids could have imaginary friends, but grown-ups? His own wife? Marjorie had carried the bear into every roadside bathroom, curio shop, and restaurant. In shops, they usually browsed separately, and often he'd look down an aisle and see her showing some little trinket colored stone, a piece of jewelry, to the bear. It always sat on her lap or at the favored spot next to her in the booth and restaurants. Outside Taos, they stopped for lunch at a Denny's, probably their tenth of the trip. Someone had left a high chair next to their table, and Marjorie automatically placed the bear in it. Don shuddered, but said nothing. Minutes later, a blue-haired, tattooed waitress arrived.
5: Should I take away the chair, or would you like a kid's menu for the little beast?
2: Her tone was decidedly snarky. Yeah, take the damn thing, he said curtly. He grabbed the bear and tossed it into the booth next to Marjorie, who looked shocked and sat it up carefully beside her.
1: Don! You could have hurt her
2: said marjorie as she smoothed the bear's fur he caught the waitress's eye as her pierced brow rose inside joke he said sheepishly that evening in taos they treated themselves to a lavish meal at a fancy restaurant with white tablecloths heavy silverware and overly attentive waiters (laughs) You know, I think we deserve this, <laughs> laughed on after his first glass of champagne. They held up their glasses in a toast. To our health <laughs> and to national parks. God bless Teddy Roosevelt. Marjorie held the glass up.
1: To Teddy for giving us the teddy bear.
2: She swung her glass round to the bear.
1: And to the day we found our sweet little bear the most wonderful darling anyone could wish for.
2: Don said nothing and quickly drained his glass. He poured himself another and another. He tried to change the subject, but their conversational well had run dry. Across the table, Marjorie gazed lovingly at the bear and smoothed its fur and the bear stared at Don. The next morning, Don opened his aching eyes and found himself nose to nose with the bear. It was hangover time, complete with waves of nausea and a roaring headache. He shoved it roughly off the bed. Then he reached down to retrieve it and laid it carefully next to Marjorie. He did not want to start their next to last day on a sour note. He took a scalding hot shower, hoping in vain the steaming spray would magically ease his pain, but even pressing his forehead hard against the tile wall gave no relief. Toweling off, he found his wife still asleep, clutching the bear tight with both arms. He felt a wave of jealousy toward the beast as he'd come to think of it. That waitress had called it right. He thought. He cheered up when he remembered the day's destination, the Rio Grande Gorge Bridge, the massive steel deck arch bridge that crossed the Rio Grande River 10 miles outside of Taos. It was their last stop and he'd been looking forward to it for the entire trip. His interest was partly professional as a civil engineer, but the personal connection was its real attraction. His uncle, a retired engineer who had inspired Don to enter the profession, worked on the bridge as a young man. He talked about those two years as the highlight of his career. Completed in 1965 at the height of 600 feet, it was one of the 10 highest bridges in the United States. It had a magnificent view and Don's engineering organization had named it the most beautiful steel bridge in Materials Performance magazine. Neither of them was in the mood for breakfast, so they left the motel and headed out Highway 64 for the 15-minute drive. As they passed the airport, his excitement grew. He chatted merrily about the bridge's cantilever truss structure and how it had recently received a year-long facelift. Marjorie nodded gravely. Minutes later, they were on the bridge itself. He slowed down, glancing back and forth from the road to the gleaming girders and trusses until he heard the blare of a car horn behind him. The minivan driver was honking at him to speed up and he suppressed his annoyance and urged the car from 20 to 30. The visitor's parking lot was on the other side of the bridge. He turned in and found a spot across from a line of vendors he was annoyed when the impatient minivan parked next to him, too close, and its doors swung open to disgorge a pair of yelling children. He had to wait until the heavyset woman laboriously climbed out and closed her door before he could open his. Marjorie was standing at the back of the car when he finally got out. The minivan driver was less than 10 feet away. An obese man with a shaved head in a tank top you know you didn't have to honk the horn like that said don crossly he rarely said anything confrontational but his headache had not abated why the hell did i say that he wondered surprisingly the burly man apologized
3: sorry about that the wife reached over and pressed the horn
2: He's been fighting with the boys all morning. Okay, uh, no problem. He felt embarrassed. As if on cue, the woman in the pink stretchy shorts began yelling at her two boys and slapped both of them, one of whom began crying.
0: Cry, baby,
2: said the other, which earned him a second slap. Marjorie turned to Don, holding the bear to her chest
1: I hate for our bear to see anything like that. It scares her."
2: She hugged it tighter and spoke into its ear.
1: We'd never do anything like that to you. Don't worry.
2: Look, let's wait a while, said Don, until they're gone. They strolled toward the line of vendors. The row of pickup trucks and makeshift racks and tables seemed a permanent fixture along one side of the parking lot. They browsed through racks of turquoise and silver bracelets and necklaces, velvet paintings and tinkling wind chimes. Taciturn Native Americans sat in the shade of their pickups and stared at nothing. Marjorie picked out a small beaded necklace and much to Don's chagrin hung it around the neck of the bear.
1: Doesn't she look good in it?
2: Mortified. Don handed a $5 bill to the woman who remained impassive as she fished around in her cash box for the dollar change. I guess she's seen everything from us pale faces now, he thought. Pedestrian walkways lined both sides of the bridge, and he guided Marjorie across the road, hoping the family from the minivan had taken the nearby side. Outposts had been constructed on the walkway so tourists could walk out and look straight down to the Rio Grande, a dizzying 600 feet below. Don, Marjorie, and the bear peered over the chest-high bars, standing next to a call box marked Crisis Hotline. There is hope. Make the call. He'd read the bridge was famous for jumpers because it had no suicide barrier. Just then, the same two bratty boys ran up, jostled them aside and stuck their heads through the bars. They began spitting vigorously into the depths, then picked up rocks and hurled them into the gorge. Don't do that, Don yelled. They both looked up at him, defiant and unafraid. Clearly, they were so used to being yelled at that Don's reprimand had little effect. The older one leaned casually against the suicide call box, smirking. They might have to talk me out of a double homicide, he thought sardonically. Behind him came a hostile voice.
3: I just about had it with you, Buster.
2: It was the obese man with his wife. You can't talk to my kids that way don looked him in the eye it's against the law to throw anything from the bridge he said and if it's not a law it should be the wife glared at him
1: they're just boys if you know what's good for you you'll leave them alone
2: to her kids she said
1: come on sweet things you leave that mean man be
2: the parting shot from the man stung if
3: you had any kids of your own you'd know better
2: Don felt his face grow hot. The boys smirked and each spat once more through the barriers before they backed off and skipped away. Don turned to look down at the river, trying to regain a bit of calm, serene wonder he'd expected to feel. Over his shoulder, he heard the older boy yell,
0: ''That lady's talking to her teddy bear, she must be crazy!''
2: they began chanting
0: crazy crazy crazy
2: as they ran down the walkway Don felt sick to his stomach but Marjorie was unfazed she stroked the bear and cooed into its ear
1: don't worry daddy's just a little upset
2: the next moment was lost in a blur of rage He snatched the bear from Marjorie's arms and hurled it over the bars and down into the gorge. It descended as a whirling blur, falling and spinning into the void. A horrendous animal scream erupted from his wife as she threw out her arms and placed her foot on the lower rail as though to jump after the bear. Marjorie, no! God, what are you doing? Don grabbed her waist and held her as she continued to scream and flail. As her voice hoarsened and turned into uncontrollable (laughs) sobs, people turned and stared. Don tried to hold her and apologize, but she flung off his arms and rushed away from him she marched back toward the car and he had no choice but to let her go. He was shocked at what he'd done. His annoyance had evaporated, replaced by a terrible shame. Why? Why why did I do that? I'm a fucking idiot. Blessedly, the minivan was gone by the time they got back to the car. He beeped to unlock the door and she jumped in. Marjorie, I'm sorry. I, I I, don't know what made me... His apology was cut short as she slammed the door shut. She cried back to Taos as they left the town limits heading south toward Fort Worth. Marjorie stopped crying.
1: Stop the car.
2: She said harshly. What for? Do do you want a drink
1: or something? Just stop the car. Open the trunk.
2: He did, as he was told. Marjorie opened her suitcase and brought two pill bottles back with her. He watched her gulp down a Xanax and an Ambien. It's probably not a good idea to mix those, he whispered. Shut up, she said. It was an 11-hour drive back to Fort Worth, planned for two days, but Don wouldn't have stopped for anything. He drove like a man possessed, pausing only for snack food and bathroom breaks. Marjorie dozed for the first few hours, twitching convulsively in her sleep. He felt awful when she seemed to be reaching for the bear, but her arms found only empty air it had been less than two months since they had lost their baby girl to sudden infant death syndrome SIDS crib death was the silent fear of many new parents and they had experienced its full horror each had coped in their own way and Don's outlet had been his obsessive planning for the trip. Marjorie was different. Except for the Xanax and an antidepressant she soon stopped taking. She'd simply cried. She seemed to welcome the trip and Don admired her resilience. When the trip began, he'd let himself hope her old buoyant self had returned. Four hours later, she spoke. It startled him because he hadn't realized she was awake.
1: I'm sorry about how I acted,
2: she said. Don felt a wave of relief and spoke in a rush. No, 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 it's, it's all my fault, Margie. There's no excuse from what I did. That bear meant a lot to you
1: and... No... I shouldn't have gotten so attached. It was sick. It started out as a game, but I took it too far and I couldn't stop. It was wrong.
2: Honey, it, it wasn't wrong. I, I... She began crying again.
1: I miss our baby.
2: She wailed. Don pulled over to the side of the road. He was crying too. They held each other and sobbed it was after midnight when he pulled into their garage marjorie stumbled into the house while don struggled with the suitcases he was dragging both of them through the living room when he heard a terrifying shriek from down the hall he dropped everything and ran to the bedroom marjorie was laughing and sobbing, hugging something to her chest. When she saw Don, she unfolded her arms and held them out. It was the bear.
1: She came back. She came back to me.
2: Her words were lost in a torrent of hysterical sobs. Don felt the world spinning as he leaned against the wall and slid to the floor. Her crying never abated. It was after five when he finally took her to the hospital, clutching the bear. The doctor sedated her and insisted on holding her for observation. He sent Don home to get some badly needed sleep. The house felt deadly empty, the bedroom worse. When Don pulled back the covers, he found a note that had slipped between the bed and the bedside table. It was from Marjorie's mother, Doris. She had a key to the house and had watered their plants while they were gone. He read the note with shaking hands. Dear Marge, so sorry about our last phone call. You were right. You did get a bear once. This bear from your Aunt Nancy. I remember now that your father immediately took it away from you. Something about dependency. How you cried I found it in the attic trunk last night, where he had hid it so many years ago. I wish he hadn't done it, but that's the way he was. Love, Mom
3: I hope you enjoyed Baby Bear as written by Charles David Taylor and voiced by Jesse Cornett and Justine Anastasia. If you enjoyed Mr. Cornett's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel as well as the No Sleep Podcast, where you can hear his vocal performances as well as production. If you drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. And as a reminder, you can hear more of Justine Anastasia right here on our official YouTube channel. She has also written for the show, as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Sean Robitill and performed by Eric Peabody and Melissa Axelberth. In it, Detective Remy Potts interviews his mother about the murder of his baby brother he witnessed at eight years old. But as we learn, his memories may be worse than what really happened. Now, without further ado, I
4: present to you, Lullaby. The buzzer rang its deep tone, and the metallic door opened. Remy stepped forward, walked to the table at the center of the room, and sat in the chair, the same as he had done every two weeks for the past three months. The woman on the other side was the same as usual, unkempt, solemn, and sickly. How have you been? Silence. He hated this, Every two weeks, he spent the first 45 minutes talking to a wall before she exploded with anguish and emotion. I'm here every other Saturday because they told me it might help. You've been about as shit to me as a person could be. At least give me this. Looking up from her sunken eyes, the woman replied,
5: They washed me yesterday. I keep telling them it doesn't matter but procedure and all.
4: Well, it's good that you're getting some attentive care. There are some places-
5: Why can't you believe me?
4: Karen Potts interrupted, on the verge of tears. We've been over this every visit for the past six visits. Karen looked back down at the table, defeated. The same argument they had been having since the first day. That day, the guards told her she had a visitor her first real visitor. True, her lawyers and the prosecutors had been regular in the beginning, but this was different. She'd not seen her son since he was eight years old, since that night. He was different now, on the tall side of average with jet black hair and the same wicked smile his father had. She was sure he was a heartbreaker, but didn't dare ask if he was involved or if... Maybe she had a grandchild. Half mad from her dreams, she refused to believe this was real for the first few weeks, but here they were again.
5: Ten years till you could visit, then four years till you finally did. I've waited every day until your 18th birthday, till I could finally see you, my beautiful boy.
4: He had his father's dark brown eyes. Choking back the tears, Karen almost couldn't breathe. She looked down, took a breath, held it, let it out slowly, took another, and looked back into her son's eyes.
5: Your 18th birthday, I waited at the door of my room all day and every day for the first week after. Every time I heard footsteps in the hall, every time my door opened, every time. I waited for four more years why
4: it wasn't easy after what i saw
5: what they told you you saw
4: no sweet mother what i saw anger rising in remy again this wasn't why he came here to argue his mother's innocence again he had seen it was in the room dr green had helped him work through what he saw what was real, and what his brain had created to deal with what he saw. They recommended he make regular visits to his mother's ward to help him with his recurring nightmares. Maybe it would help him piece together what really happened, where they could find his baby brother. After 14 years of searching, they still hadn't found even a hair. This is why Remy had become a detective, so he could solve his brother's disappearance and Karen Potts was the only piece he had to this mystery. For two years, Remy Potts had been poring over the case file trying to notice something, trying to remain impersonal. Mitchell Potts, seven months, vanished from his crib one night 14 years ago. Only witnesses, Karen Potts, age 26, single mother with no idea what happened. Remy Potts, age 8. It was a different story than what Remy had seen happen. At least, they told him he had. But what he remembered and what happened had to be two very different scenarios, at least from what Dr. Green had told him. His mind saw something he couldn't process and replaced the memory with something he could considering what he remembered, what he saw must have been nothing short of pure horror. Karen Potts was incarcerated in the Wayne County Asylum for the Insane when Remy was eight, and he had lived with his Uncle Brian until he graduated. His Uncle Brian was a single man with violent alcoholism. At least he was great when he was sober, but that was very rare. Remy was mostly raised by the myriad of women Brian brought home for a few weeks at a time. It always amazed Remy how in such a small town like Garrison, his uncle was never short of women who didn't know he was a lazy, good-for-nothing drunk who had no intention of changing. Remy had seen all of that and had worked even harder to be a successful, well-balanced adult, whatever that meant. Graduating with honors and going straight into the police academy, seven months later, he was a patrol cop in his hometown, and a year and a half later, he was a detective. The promotion he had worked since ten years old to get was bittersweet. The day he became a detective, he pulled his brother's file from a cold case and made it his life's goal. From day one, he had hit a dead end. It seemed, as far as Dr. Green was concerned, he couldn't solve the case and find his brother's body until he was able to remember what really happened that night, and he couldn't see through that without insight from his mother, and she wasn't giving any answers. Well, if this is the way it's going to be again, Mom, I'll be back in two weeks.
5: Please, Remy, I know it's hard to imagine, but I love you. I see the damage that's been done to you.
4: The damage you did to me.
5: The damage. I want to help you, but I don't know how.
4: Tell me where Mitch is. Where did you hide him? Let me put him to rest and we can close the book on this nightmare.
5: You know nothing about any nightmares.
4: Karen rose to her feet. A slender frame, unable to intimidate, but not for lack of trying.
5: I have seen horrors you couldn't imagine every time I close my eyes.
4: Well, I hope so. Because what I remember is the real nightmare, Mom.
5: Then tell me, please, Remy, let me at least help you. Let me understand what you saw.
4: I woke up and looked over. You were in your rocking chair. Mitchell in your lap, cooing softly as you hummed that lullaby. That same tune I hear in my head every night. That tune that haunts me every night, Mom. Then I watched you lift him to your lips and kiss his forehead. Then you looked right into my eyes, pure red, as you... As I remember seeing you... Unhinge your jaw like a snake with an egg. You slid Mitchell into your mouth, your lips stretching around his skull like a birth in reverse, till all that was left was legs flailing. And then you turned to the door, stood up, and swallowed the last, the last of my baby brother and left the room. That's what I remember, Mother.
3: I hope you enjoyed Lullaby, as written by Sean Robotil and voiced by Eric Peabody and Melissa Axelberth. If you enjoyed Mr. Peabody's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel where he holds the second-place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of his work on his website at www.vikingguitar.com. Melissa Exelberth's vocal performances and talent can be found on our Simply Scary podcast network, as well as on her website, melissaexelberth.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A. E-X-E-L-B-E-R-T-H dot com. Be sure to let them know you heard them here. You won't be sorry that you did. And it would mean a lot to me. Now, our weekly descent into the hallowed depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode. And remind you to take a moment and stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to show your support and get all of our content ad-free.
2: Tales for Dark Nights.